It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. We, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to a special edition of Miked Up on OM Radio. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden, and I'm here again with this daily COVID-19 update for Charleston and the surrounding Lowcountry area. Uh, this morning, it's uh, March 27th, it's Friday, and it's uh, just before 7 o'clock a.m., uh, and I'm going to jump into the numbers today. Um, according to DHEC, uh, the state currently sits at 456 total positive cases for COVID-19. And unfortunately, that has meant nine total deaths um, from the virus. So um, the other numbers that you should really keep an eye on is where each county or how many test positive cases are coming from each county. As we all well know, Kershaw County was the first area to experience a large number of positive test cases. Uh, that still remains the same. They, they topped the list at 64 total positive cases, um, followed by Charleston with 61. Charleston is also uh, tied with Richland County. They also, excuse me, I said 61. It's 60 for Charleston and it's 60 for Richland. It's 51 for Greenville County and it's 29 for Buford. Then it, the list keeps going on and on, of course, um, <clears throat> to include uh, Anderson, Horry County, Lexington, and so on and so forth. So those are the numbers off the top. Um, I want to go ahead and just give you this quick update from uh, our governor, Governor Henry McMaster. Uh, governor McMaster held a press conference yesterday, and here's just a little bit um, from that, from that uh, press conference. And again, we appreciate you coming. Uh, we've gotten a lot of questions about a lot of different things, and this is one forum in which we try to answer a lot of questions for people at the same time. Uh, we're making great progress, as you know, and we'll have some different uh, speakers answering questions as well in sequence. But let me say this. People are asking about drastic orders, shelter in place, uh, and distinguishing essential from non-essential businesses and all those sorts of things. We will do that if, we will do that if and only if it becomes necessary to take those steps. When will it become necessary? How will we know? We will know based on the data, on the facts, on the science, on the expert knowledge and opinions and analysis of the professionals in the fields, representatives whom you see standing here in front of you today. And we'll do it on the basis of nothing else. If that time comes, you will certainly know and we will, we will say so. I have great faith in the people of South Carolina. They follow rules, they're respectful, they're courteous, they're gentle, they're smart, they're resilient. And if you will notice the things that we have asked them to do, they are doing and they're doing very well. We asked a directed state government to cut back. The numbers are this, the, those in state government that are working from home or are on leave are 20,000. So as you heard in that clip, Governor McMaster has not yet deemed it necessary to issue a stay at home order from the state level. 
Um, he says he's going to base his decision on data. And if you're following the numbers, the numbers are continually going up. They're trending upwards. And so that's just something to watch. And we are seeing other states. I believe it's over 13 states right now who have issued stay at home orders from the, you know, from the state level down, even though our federal government also feels a little bit, uh, I guess, consistent with Henry McMaster and that they don't want to, quote unquote, issue a lockdown order um so we'll see what that what that does we'll see how that um impacts the growth numbers here and it's just something to watch um so um speaking of numbers and infection rates i really want to highlight the work being done uh, in our healthcare uh systems throughout the states um we have some tremendous minds working uh very very hard to help folks remain healthy avoid infection stay calm and feel reassured. And so I stumbled across a little story or uh, I guess a profile of a local healthcare professional. And I'm gonna play that clip right now. I wanted to do something where I could make a difference. People are, they're afraid, they're terrified. And so um, as an infection preventionist, I am, we are the voice, we are the calm in the storm. What I do is direct the interventions um, to help prevent our patients from acquiring infections. It's all about the safety of the patient and the team member. Because this is a um, new disease, um, things are constantly evolving. The guidelines are changing, um, and also we're having to find ways um, to conserve our personal protective equipment. And so even though we're doing that, we're doing so in a safe manner. I spend a lot of time um, at work. And even when I'm not at work, I'm still working. Lots of phone calls, lots of emails, lots of text messages um, in order to um, maintain the calm here. But I have a very strong support system. Um, whenever I have to be here, my husband is there to handle things at home. And then also if he has to work and I have to work, um, we have my parents to lean on for that. That was Shanetta P. Williams. Shanetta is an infection preventionist and that audio came courtesy of the state newspaper. I think it's important for us to highlight and uplift the work of healthcare professionals who are on the front line and working so diligently to keep our communities safe from infection and from everything, like <laughs> even mass hysteria even. She's very calming and reassuring, and I've, I've been seeing that consistently across the board. I want to lift up another uh, aspect of healthcare work that has been pivotal in helping to work against or stifle the coronavirus outbreak, um, and that's the work of Prisma Health. Now, Prisma Health has um, a presence throughout the state. I know most notably the upstate area and also in the Midlands. So listen to this uh, audio regarding uh, what Prisma Health has been doing and the national headlines they've been grabbing. An engineer statewide created a potential life-saving ventilator device, which now has FDA approval. News 19's Jacob Reynolds talked to some of those doctors about how the device could save lives. As the number of coronavirus cases continues to increase, an emergency room doctor came up with an idea to help more patients have access to ventilators. Dr. Peter Tilkmeyer explains. The device works by uh, attaching to the ventilator um, in a circuit such that it splits the two circuits out to the patient 
uh, we can adjust the ventilatory flow out to the patients um, to uh, optimize their re uh, flow of oxygen as well as the pressures at which they receive that oxygen. The device allows one ventilator to assist four patients in emergency situations. Dr. Marjorie Jenkins explains why it has emergency FDA approval. If you are out of ventilators and the issue is to not ventilate someone who needs life-saving support, then the VESPER device will allow you to share a ventilator among patients. The alternative with this disease, because of the acute respiratory failure that you have, is, a, is a, almost a certain death for that patient. Emergency room doctor Sarah Ferris, seen here, shared the idea with her husband, who is a biomechanical engineer. With friends, they printed a prototype at Clemson, who then shared it with Prisma and the USC Medical School in Greenville for more testing. Dr. Jenkins says rapid approval is usually unheard of. And they are working 24 hours a day to make this happen. You, you will never, you know, I don't think I'll, I hope never to need or see in my lifetime a 72-hour turnaround for a device approval from the FDA. Prototypes of the device have been sent to New York City, New Orleans, and one South Carolina hospital. In Columbia, Jacob Reynolds, News 19, WLTX. Dr. Jenkins says they'll need clinical data from the first few patients using the device before it can be mass-produced. Companies have volunteered to print thousands of devices and send them to areas that are in need for free. If there's one silver lining from the coronavirus pandemic, it's the innovation that we're seeing. And it's great to see South Carolina at the forefront of some of these uh, innovative solutions being born out of this um, this precarious time. So a uh, shout out to Prisma Health Care Systems for coming up with a solution that will address the ventilator shortage. We know that we're gonna feel that here um, According to the reporting at the Post and Courier uh, and M.K. Wildeman, I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. Um, I'm going to reach out to her and make sure. Um, but her reporting with the Post and Courier, uh, where she cites the shortage of ICU units throughout the state, and we know how that's going to uh, impact folks in the rural pockets throughout South Carolina. Seeing that map, seeing her reporting about where they may, where there may not be adequate access to emergency health care, um, you know, it really it really scares you a little bit. So it's great to see other health care systems come up with ideas that help address those shortages, because if there's a lack of ICU, ICU units and ventilators, perhaps this is something that can help um, mitigate some of that concern. So uh, again, kudos to Prisma Health and to their innovation. I'm going to pivot now to economic news. Um, one thing you probably woke up to if you're not tracking COVID-19, you're definitely tracking the economic news. A lot of us, those listening to this uh, podcast, this radio show, a lot of you all have either your work life has changed drastically. You may be working from home. You may have been laid off, furloughed, maybe even terminated. A lot of job uh, jobs have just just dried up, especially here in the low country where hospitality and food and bev took a direct hit. So here's an economic update in terms of the unemployment numbers here. And I'll come back on the other side with a little bit more information. New unemployment numbers show millions of Americans filing unemployment claims, tens of thousands of those South Carolina. And Charleston County saw more of those claims than any, almost any other county in the state. News 2's Danielle Hinsley spoke with locals who are now part of those unemployed due to COVID-19 shutdowns. Danielle. 
Sophia, the jobs most affected by the closures are the one in hospitality, so people working for restaurants, hotels, or cruise lines. These jobs also heavily rely on tips. Professor of Hospitality and Tourism Management at College of Charleston, Dr. Wayne Smith, said tourism is an $8 billion industry in Charleston. The greater Charleston area is expected to lose half a billion dollars in the next four weeks. You're taking the two busiest months of the year. Imagine any business, if you took their two busiest months of the year and took them away, how, how well the businesses would survive. There are currently 50,000 people employed in hospitality tourism in the Charleston area, 36,000 of which are employed in the restaurant industry in the Tri-County area alone. Hotel occupancy is down to 29% compared to 84% this time last year. Before to hire people, it was really difficult. Now, is it going to be even more difficult to hire post-event? Michael Dulac worked as a bar back at Rooftop before being let go two weeks ago. Since, he has been unable to find any other work. There are hundreds and thousands of people applying to the same job, so it's very competitive out there. Um, and with the coronavirus now, it makes it even harder um, because a lot of employees are working from home. Um, so they're not doing interviews and stuff like that. Dulac says he has had to suspend his student loan and car payments. So I live with my girlfriend, but right now, um, I think we did the math, it's, it's going to be about a month, a month and a half, maybe max, um, until I have to reach out to my family and see if anybody can help me and stuff like that without work. Prices are not expected to increase when things return to normal. Experts say businesses may offer package deals to attract tourism. Reporting in downtown Charleston, Danielle Hensley, Count on Two. That bit of reporting came courtesy of our local NBC affiliate here in Charleston, uh, Channel 2 News. And so, um, as always, I'll link all of the reporting that I've used for this episode. I'll provide links to that content in the show notes. I want to continue on with um, some more local reporting, and this addresses the fear and um, some myths that we have heard surrounding coronavirus. I know I've heard it from, it, it's not even like exclusive to any age group. It, it really is alarming how much misinformation and disinformation is being dispensed. So check out this clip again, another clip from um, Channel News 2 regarding myth busting and, and official information from FEMA. Media can be a place of information and misinformation. And with all of us staying at home and staying online, the lines of truth for COVID-19 can become a little bit blurry. With the help of FEMA, News 2 is trying to help correct those rumors. The first myth circling social media is that we're under a national lockdown and the country will be quarantined for the next two weeks. Per FEMA, there is no national lockdown. As with all the information online or shared via social media, it's important to verify the source of the information. The second rumor is that we need to stockpile our groceries. FEMA's response is only to buy what your family needs for a week. Going on to say it's important to remember that many families are unable to buy a supply of food and water for weeks in advance. Consumers' demand has been exceptionally high, especially for grocery, household cleaning, and some health care products. Another myth, the U.S. government is mailing checks for $1,000 and you can sign up for them. 
According to FEMA, the U.S. government is not mailing checks in response to COVID-19 at this time. Anyone who tries to tell you they can get the money now is a scammer. The rumor that FEMA calls the most unfortunate is that only those above the age of 60 and those with pre-existing conditions will contract COVID-19. According to the Center for Disease Control, those at a higher risk include older adults and people with serious chronic medical conditions. However, symptoms can range from mild to severe with and may have different complications for each individual. The final myth, the hantavirus, which was the reasoning for an individual's death in China, can spread from person to person like coronavirus. Per FEMA, hantavirus is not new and according to the CDC, it was first observed in the 1950s in Asia during the Korean War and in this country in 1993 in the Four Corners area. It is spread primarily to humans through contact with the waste products of infected rodents. Transmission from one human to another may occur, but is extremely rare. The most important thing to remember when posting on social media, sharing and or liking something is that that source has been verified and vetted. In Charleston, I'm Kate Prestack. Count on two. Shout out to Kate Prestack from Channel 2 News. Um, she's been awesome in terms of just providing such uh, helpful and useful information. Uh, her morning updates on, uh, again, this is the, the local Charleston NBC News affiliate. Um, her local updates that you can find online um, have been very uh, helpful. And I know I've been using, uh, I've used her content along with several other um, outlets. And, and I'm using this content because it's really quality reporting. It's really quality news and it's informative and I can trust it, right? And like she just mentioned in her, uh, her piece just now, we want to make sure that we're getting information from well-sourced, uh, you know, re uh, outlets. And so that's why it's critical that I always incorporate the Post and Courier, the state newspaper, New York Times, PBS NewsHour, so on and so forth. And I encourage you all to do the same thing. Seek information from trusted sources. I know there's a lot of, um, I guess, banter and commentary about what news is credible, what news might have a certain ideological uh, bent. But I, I really would like encourage folk to just trust you know, are, are some of our, you know, a lot of our mainstream sources when it comes to the facts, when it comes to numbers, when it comes to provisions, really trust your local reporters uh, here in uh, South Carolina. I find them for the most part, so many local news outlets are really trustworthy and have been, it's, it's just the crutch that I've been relying on. So they make these updates so much easier. All right. So I'm going to pivot now to one more, like, uh, I guess not warning, but another like thing to look out for. I have elderly parents. And so when I uh, look at their phone caller ID, I see a lot of curious numbers and, you know, folks always asking for money, fundraisers and whatnot. And I almost have to kind of sometimes I play a little defense and delete things off of the caller ID, delete things off their answering phone, um, their answering machine. And it's just, you know, having elderly parents, it, it really uh, puts into perspective, you know, how many predators are out there. And with the recent news regarding the stimulus package and the uh, the stimulus relief checks that will be issued in the coming months, um, a lot of folks are going to be positioning themselves to take advantage of those uh, take advantage of anybody, but specifically the elderly. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and play this clip 
to help you, uh, I guess, prevent that and play a little defense on your own. During this time, we're being encouraged to practice social distancing, but that entails being more social online, and that could lead to a lot of misinformation. The worst times can bring out the worst in people, even during a global pandemic. Scammers are out to get unsuspecting victims. But there's now a tool that can help you from becoming one of those victims. The Better Business Bureau has a way for you to submit tickets and track scams online. Go to bbb.org forward slash scam tracker. On the left side of your screen, see where it says search for scams? Go to the scam type section and right there you want to click on COVID-19. There are over 20 scams in multiple states and Canada being reported on the site already. So you guys, please be careful. I want to end uh, today's update show with a follow-up on something I reported on yesterday, Thursday. It's regarding uh, Charleston City Councilman Jason Sacrin and his efforts to provide immediate relief in the form of loans to small businesses here in Charleston. Uh, what he was trying to do was direct funds initially earmarked for, for affordable housing here in Charleston and use that to help provide immediate relief to small businesses. Uh, I know I'm a bit redundant, but, but just bear with me. Um, however, that measure faced uh, some opposition and the mayor of Charleston chose to table it for now and wait and see what till until Congress, you know, makes more movement or I guess uh, works on another package. Uh, the mayor wanted to wait and see what's done at the national level before he took the funds again, originally earmarked for affordable housing here and redirected them to provide immediate relief. Um, I have friends on both sides of this issue. I myself am on, I don't know where I stand on this issue to be honest with you, um, but I did reach out to Michaela Porter. She is the reporter from the Post and Courier and the information that I got yesterday was illuminating. And um, I know there are a lot of businesses out there struggling, struggling to make ends meet. They don't know what's ahead of them within the next 30, 45 days, six months. Um, and I understand that I'm so extraordinarily empathetic. Um, however, I think it is time to pause. This is just my personal commentary. Whenever the city um, is going to choose to take money from affordable housing, I have to really evaluate that decision. I know that the city has not been using that money, uh, not, uh, not effectively at least, in addressing the uh, housing, the affordable housing shortage. However, I think that we need to make sure that our value systems are such that we value people and that we value families and don't exasperate another issue. Um, so that's just my take on the issue. Um, also, I'd like to know whether or not there are some monies or uh, some funds that were directed maybe at tourism or some other industries right now that have been dealt a blow, right? And I understand that tourism is Charleston's bread and butter, which I really, you know, that investment to me isn't sustainable. And we've done shows on that. But um, what what I do believe is that we already know that tourism is not going to be robust this year. We, we can already predict that. We can forecast that. Are there any other means for us to just find funding that would have uh, normally gone to something, something discretionary like tourism and apply it to relief for these small businesses. I'd like for them, if you're going to rob Peter to pay Paul, make sure Peter is well off. And affordable housing, 
that ain't that ain't the pot that I'd like for folks to draw from. And I think it sends a different message too. it sends a certain message um, where we we um, we prioritize food and bev and tourism over people. And again, I'm not I'm not mad at the the uh, strategy. I'm not mad at the organizing effort. I'm not upset. And I don't think that anyone was trying to um, harm any communities, but Charleston has got to stop this muscle memory of taking from what's already the marginalized and disadvantaged. We just do it out of reflex at this point. We have to be a little bit more thoughtful on how we come up with solutions, just solutions for all of us. No legislation, no measure is perfect. I'm not looking for perfection. But when Jason, to me, where Jason made several missteps was when he didn't consult African-Americans, his African-American peers on, on the city council, when he didn't even um, perhaps even reach out to African-American business owners directly. I feel like that was a misstep as well. Um, also, unafford- uh, the affordable housing that's already a hot button issue. And I think that's what pumped the brakes on this measure. So I'm rooting for Jason. I'm rooting for my friends who are advocating for relief. I'm rooting for our small business and our economy here. But I think we need to ask some larger questions when it comes to our economy. Why Why are we doubling down and investing so heavily in tourism and, and doing that at the cost of the quality of life and uh, the at the cost of other people and community members that's just a question I'd like to pose but I'm rooting it's hard to be on both sides I'm not trying to straddle the fence when it comes down to it I'm for the people period so um that's my update for today check out Michaela's reporting at the Post and Courier um she's doing a hard job I know she didn't get a lot of she didn't earn a lot of fans in the business sector for her reporting but if it weren't not for her reporting I would not have known about some of the issues with the um, the approach to this measure and this proposal so uh, again please uh, read the Post and Courier check out MK Wilderman check out uh, Michaela's reporting and everyone there please follow continue to follow the COVID coverage they've removed a lot of that from behind the paywall they've made it accessible as has the state newspaper. So please make sure you, you support local media sources and support OWN. I'd also like to just end the show by saying thank you to my, my team members for offering me feedback. Thank you for the reporters who have made themselves available for comment to help me add to this story. Um, you know, without the help of, of local media, um, this show wouldn't be what it is. So thank you all for your help. Until next time, y'all stay happy, stay healthy, stay home if you can. And to my Gullah Geechee folks, y'all stay black.